0: Let us start tonight and next week. Our last two services, we're touching on uh, in the Catechism the final sacrament, Uh, but that's Holy Communion. But what in the Catechism Luther calls the sacrament of the altar. Um, So begin. I'm going to read from Matthew 26. I mean, it's Matthew 26. Starting at verse 26, and then reading through verse 30. While they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will never again drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Of course, such a familiar piece of scripture. One, it's part of our liturgy that we hear every time that we take communion. Uh, we have here in this text, Jesus instituting, Jesus beginning the sacrament, and within that, the promise that's attached to it, and just what exactly is going on in communion, it's right in this text and in the other Gospels, uh, which tell in a very similar way the same story with the same same text. And then to follow that up, um, looking at the small catechism, and if you want to look in your hymnal, it's... Page 1166, 1166. And just one question tonight. What is the sacrament of the altar? And Luther tells us it is the true body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ under the bread and wine instituted by Christ himself for us to eat and drink. All right, so we remember here, as we've talked these last few weeks, about for Lutherans, what makes a sacrament? Right? Because we said, really, there's two sacraments, maybe three if we count, confession and absolution, but there are really two sacraments. Uh, and so we kind of loosely define sacrament as God's word, a promised enjoined to an external physical sign that's used according to Christ's command. Right. And so when we talked about baptism, we said, well, it's not just plain, simple water, but it's water connected to God's Word. That's what makes it a sacrament. So sacraments are those promises that God gives to us that are delivered to us in physical, tangible realities. So water, bread and wine, a voice, perhaps, Uh, real physical things that we can take in with our senses. And we also talked, when we talked about baptism, that a sacrament is not a ritual that the church invents. It's a thing that Christ gives to us and commands us to do. It's a gift for us to receive. It's not something that we've made up, uh, It's not a ritual that came along later in the church's history. From day one, from as soon as Christ sent his disciples out into the world to be the church, this is a thing they were doing. They were baptizing people, and they were gathering around communion, the sharing of bread and wine together. And so it's something that we've inherited as the church straight from Christ. He's the one that instituted it and began it. Uh, this also means that we do not have the liberty to make changes to it. Uh, and so the elements of communion themselves, as baptism we talk about, we have that physical element of water. In communion we have that physical element of bread and wine. Uh, but we cannot change that. That's part of Christ's command and how he instituted the sacrament itself. Right. So, anything else? Um, and I'll tell you a story. I was together with some other clergy, and not Lutherans, and they were talking about all of the ways they've had communion throughout their ministry. Right. And they shared that, like at camp, they've had cookies and milk communion, uh, Doritos and Mountain Dew communion. Right. And it sounds ridiculous, but there are those there are those who, who do this uh, because maybe that's all they have or because they're trying to be relevant or trying to connect, uh, something like that. But we want to be very careful because when we change the very physical elements of what Christ has told us to do, we're changing the nature of the sacrament itself to be something that we're inventing, something that we're messing with, not what Christ has given to us. Right, and the danger of that, as we'll talk about, is that in communion, Christ has promised us something particular. He's promised us something real. right? And he wants us to be certain that his word is true. And so when we begin to change things with communion, when we say, well, we don't have bread, but we can use chips-ahoy cookies, we begin to doubt, is this really Christ's promise in this? Is this really the sacrament? Is this the thing... Right? And that's not what Christ wants for us. He wants us to have that assurance, uh, which I why I chose blessed assurance for him to begin the service. Uh, Christ wants us to have that assurance of his promise. Right? And so we receive the sacrament as it's been handed to us from Christ. We don't have the liberty uh, to change it or to mess with it. Okay. Um, and with that, a couple of—I'm going to start with a couple of ways not to think about communion. Uh, the first is, and this is typically how communion is talked about and understood, and the Roman Catholic Church is that communion itself is not a sacrifice that we make. Uh, So in in Catholic practice, the Mass itself and the offering of communion is a work of merit. It's something that we do uh, for God. It's something God recognizes us doing, and he rewards that with grace. He gives himself in response to the action of communion. Uh, likewise, communion itself is not something we do to please God, right? It's not something we say, okay, God wants us to do this and we're going to be good if we do it. Uh, so we're offering this bread and wine up to God so that he blesses us. Uh, that's not the idea at all. So communion itself is not a sacrifice that we make to God. In some ways, our response to communion, can be a sacrifice. Uh, We use the language sometimes of a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Uh, In response to God's grace, we thank him and we praise him. However, that's always a response. It's in no way trying to earn God's favor. It's in no way evoking God to give us something. Um, but it's our soul's and our heart's response to the gifts of God. And so we don't offer sacrifices to try to get God to look at us one way or the other. Catholics also will see that in communion, they'll believe that they're continuing the sacrifice that Christ has made on the cross. And so they'll talk about the sacrifice of the Mass. And the communion is in joining the believer to the cross. And so, in a mystical way, every Mass is kind of a re-sacrifice of Christ. Um, Every Mass is connecting us to the cross. Um, And we want to be careful about that as well. um, Because we acknowledge that Christ, in fact, did die on the the cross for us. He was a sacrifice for our sins. However, he completed that on the cross. uh, And and so no way are we going back there in any kind of real sense in the sacrament of the altar uh, like Catholics might teach. Uh, The other uh, way to think about communion that's pretty typical but is also that is wrong is that communion is just a ritual done to simply call Christ's sacrifice to memory. It's not a reenactment, either literally or symbolically. Okay, So uh, for me, I grew up in, of course, an evangelical tradition, a revivalist tradition. This is what communion was about. Uh, For me, growing up, we had communion twice a year. We had communion on Good Friday and the day before Thanksgiving, or the Sunday before Thanksgiving. Uh, and the idea of communion was, well, this is your chance to remember the cross. This was your chance to remember Christ's sacrifice. right? And so that's the only meaning that was connected to communion, was, it, was a chance, it's like a, an object lesson. Uh, okay, take time to meditate on what Jesus did for you, uh, and that's all there is to it. Right, and so it can be an emotional thing. It can be a very spiritual, spiritually beneficial thing for people who believe that and who practice that. However, communion for them doesn't actually do anything. Um, there's no actual grace in it. There's nothing really going on. There's no particular promise. It's just kind of an object lesson, a picture of what Christ has done for us. Okay, so that position as well, I don't think is what the New Testament teaches, but it's not what our Lutheran confessions will teach either. All right, so the right way to look at communion then is, as Luther says here, that communion is the true body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ under the bread and wine. In other words, Christ is giving himself to you in the word of promise of the forgiveness of sins. So in communion, in the bread and wine, Christ is present. He's bodily present. He's there. All of him is there. Uh, Lutherans here famously lean on these words that Christ gives to his disciples when he says, this is my body, this is my blood. Right, So the plain reading of what Jesus says when he institutes communion is that, well, the bread is his body and that the wine is his blood. That's what he says. Okay, um, And so in Lutheran understanding and Lutheran history, that idea becomes really central. Uh, during the Reformation, so in the year 1517, Really, the the Reformation begins. Luther nails his ninety-five theses to the door of the Wittenberg Chapel, um, and the debates start. The Reformation really starts, uh, and it gets underway. And so, in the in the succeeding decade following that, there were two edicts that said, "Well, all Protestants are heretics. The followers of Luther are heretics." Um, they're excommunicated from, the church, excommunicated from the church, and so on. Uh, however, there were some political influencers um, and some people with political power that were following Luther and some of the other Protestants. And some of the other Protestants throughout Europe kind of had some different ideas about communion. They didn't agree with what Luther was teaching. Uh, and so some of these politicians brought Luther together with some of the other Protestants um, who were teaching other things about communion. And the, the politicians wanted them to come to an agreement. Right? Because politically, it would make so much more sense if all the Protestants agreed on one thing about communion. Uh, the fact that the Protestants disagreed and that other churches were developing was a political problem because it made them weaker. Uh, They would have been a stronger, united body if they could agree. Uh, So Luther, in the year 1529, is brought together with some of the other Protestants and put in a room by a politician and said, okay, try to work this out. Uh, Try to come up with an agreement on communion so that we can have one Protestant church. Uh, And Luther couldn't compromise. He wouldn't compromise. Uh, So, throughout the discussions, some of the other Protestants were saying, All right, so we spiritually are taking in Christ's body and blood. We eat him in a spiritual way, Uh, we're drawn up to where he is spiritually. But Luther said, that's too much of a compromise. And over and over, Luther repeated, this is my body, this is my blood. He said, there's no other way to understand those words. Christ isn't talking figuratively, he isn't talking symbolically. He says, this is, and so it is. And so he says, unless you can prove otherwise, that Christ means something symbolic here, this is how we have to take what Jesus says. So when Jesus says, "This is my body," then we take him at His word. Theologically, then, this becomes so important for us. Right, why does it matter that Christ is bodily present in communion? You know Why can't we just say, "Well, it's a symbol? It's very spiritual. It's nice. Why does it matter? Well, in Christ's body and blood is our forgiveness. Over and over, the Gospels, the New Testament tell us that Christ is the Lamb who has come to bear the sins of the world. Christ has bore your sins, our sins, the sins of the whole world, in his body on the cross. He bore our sins. And so he also died with our sins. And he took our judgment that was meant for us, that we deserve, onto himself and into his body. Right? And so that's a bodily reality of what's happened to Christ. And likewise, when Christ is resurrected, we're assured that we are forgiven. Right? Our sins are no more. Christ has borne them away. And so they're no longer our sins the judgment on those sins has been paid. And now there's only forgiveness for us who are united to Christ. And so within Christ's body, within his blood, is the reality of our forgiveness. All right, and so the reality that Christ is bodily present in communion is that tangible and real reminder that we are, in fact, forgiven. Some of the early church fathers talked about communion as the medicine of immortality. It's the medicine that gives us life, and it gives us life because it's assuring us of the forgiveness of our sins. Because where Christ is, there's forgiveness. And if we're taking in Christ, if we're in his presence bodily, if we're receiving him, then we know that we have forgiveness of sins. We know, we're promised that we're joined to his resurrection. Um, And so we're promised in communion that we are given life. Uh, The big question then, because Lutherans are really simple, uh, they'll say, okay, we have bread and wine. It remains bread and wine but it also is the body and blood of Christ. And so the question naturally always is, well, how can that be? right? How can you say that it is really the body of Christ? If you were to do DNA testing, you would get not Christ's DNA. You would find out that it's still bread and wine. Uh, And so Lutherans say that Well, it's Christ's body within and under the bread and wine, right? He is really present, but we say that he's really present in the bread and wine. Uh, This is different than the Catholic position. Uh, The Catholic position, a big fancy word is transubstantiation. The Catholics believe that there's no longer bread and wine in communion that it actually becomes the body and blood of Christ. Uh, And so they'll say it has the characteristics of bread and wine, but the real substance of it, the real thing of it, is the actual body and blood of Christ. Lutherans, however, say, well, we don't know. We're happy to let it be a mystery. We don't need to rationally explain what happens in communion. Uh, We don't have to try to use a particular kind of logic or philosophy or anything. Lutherans will say, we accept it because it's Christ's word. Christ says, this is my body, then we accept it. And so we resist trying to explain it rationally or try to make it make sense. Uh, And so the follow-up question then is always, well, if you say that Christ is bodily present there, How can Christ be present in so many places? Uh, So this is what some of the other Protestant reformers tried to argue with Luther about. How can Christ be in more than one place at once? If you say he's present in communion, then he's present at every church across the world. How can that be? Uh, And Luther, again, is gonna say, well, because he wants to be Uh, in his divinity, as God, He can be where He wants to be. Uh, we see this in the Gospel of John. The resurrected Christ can walk through a locked door, right? There's no physical way to explain that. There's no scientific way or, you know, philosoph- philosophical way to make it make sense. Christ, who has a body, who eats with the disciples, who can touch the disciples, embrace them, can also walk through a door, right? It's beyond what we know. It's beyond what we can explain rationally, right? And so the same thing with communion. Christ can be in more places uh, than just one because in his divinity, he wills it to be so. Um, And so how do we eat the body of Christ? How do we drink his blood it's the same kind of deal. We're saying, we're not going to try to explain it logically and rationally. We're going to accept it at his word. The Lutherans were always very careful, however, to say that we're not eating in the same kind of physical way as we understand it. Right? When we come to communion, we can't say, Oh, well, I'm going to eat Christ's elbow, or I'm eating his toe, or his thumb, or something like that. We're not dividing up his body like that. But what we are saying is that he is in his body, present in the sacrament. Okay, beyond that, we try to resist. Uh, We try to resist explaining it away. We let it be a mystery. We let God be God. And we let Christ's word stand as it is. Uh, And so the mistakes that we make is to think that, well, it is just symbolic, right? That the bread is just a picture of his body, or the wine is just a picture of his blood. That's not what Christ says. That's not what the church teaches. Rather, it is that he is truly and really present there in the bread and the wine. Uh, but a lot of the Reformed, so those in the Presbyterians, um, they will say that Christ is present, but he is present spiritually. And so they'll say that Christ and his body cannot be more than one place at the same time uh, without compromising his body. And so when we partake of communion, we're just doing so spiritually, and we're lifted up to him spiritually. Uh, But Luther will say, you can't parse out Christ um, in such a way when he says, this is my body. Right? He doesn't say, this is my spiritual body, or this is a representation of my body. But he says, this is my body. Right? And that's the true assurance that comes with communion. That it is Christ here with us in a real bodily sense. Not just as a symbolic reminder of his presence, But when we receive communion, he's there. He's right there with us. Right? And so, in that way, communion becomes the gospel for us. It becomes another way that the gospel is proclaimed to us because we're reminded that Christ is there for us, that he hasn't left us, he hasn't forsaken us, and that he never will. But he's always there for us, and he's always there with that promise of the forgiveness of sins. That's the assurance that we have in communion, and that's why Christ has instituted communion, precisely for that assurance, to know the gospel is for us, that Christ is for us. I'm going to take a moment, because uh, I got some good feedback from uh, my most important critic, my wife, that I didn't really leave any time for questions or comments like i promised i would do so i'm going to ask are there any questions or anything you want to talk about what well, we talked with communion yeah 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 i just want to know so i understand that the community itself is the sacrifice that you're yeah when you hold the host up yeah. and the cup up you're not offering them as a sacrifice you're blessing it yeah that's a that's a great question, so during the liturgy, there's always that point where I'm holding up during the words of institution uh and so yeah, so I'm not offering it up as a sacrifice to god what i what the intention there is why we hold it up is so that you can clearly see it uh and so that in a way, it's supposed to be preaching to you right that This right here is Christ's body for you. This is his blood for you. And so the intention is simply so everyone can see it. It's being proclaimed. Um, Yeah, and so the service itself, the liturgy and the communion service is itself a kind of sermon for you to see. All right, this is Christ for you. Yeah, that's a good question. The sign of the cross over. So yeah. is that like a blessing or it is. Um so the, there's controversy about that in Lutheranism, right? Because the temptation is will people see this as some kind of magic action, right? That the pastor blessing it is changing it. Um, you know, that the pastor has magic hands or something like that. And so that's not what we believe we believe that Christ is present in his word, right? And so it's the word itself, it's the proclamation. Uh, And so for Lutherans, there's no communion without the words of institution, right? So without saying, on a night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus, and so on, right? It's in that promise, that's what makes communion communion, right? If we just sat around a table with bread and wine, and talked about God's love together, it's not really communion because there's no promise in it. right? So very specifically, it's the Word that makes communion. Uh, I'll talk about this a little bit next week, but along those lines, uh, because it is the word that makes it communion, that Christ comes present in the bread and wine through that word. Uh, It's important to realize that it's not our faith that makes Christ present. Uh, So Lutherans believe that anyone who comes up for communion is receiving the body and blood of our Lord. Um, Even if they're not a believer, they're receiving it. Now, they're not receiving the benefits of Christ's presence. Uh, They're receiving perhaps the opposite. Uh, Perhaps it's to their detriment or their judgment. Uh, We'll talk about that next week. Uh, But it's not our action or anything we do that makes Christ present. It's his word. It's his promise that does. Um, And Lutherans have also been kind of resistant uh, to say, at this point in the liturgy, this point in the service, is when Christ is present. Uh, so a lot of it in the Catholic tradition and um, some Anglican Episcopal traditions is believed that during the Sanctus, when we say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, that at that point you could pinpoint, okay, now the elements are changed. Um, or perhaps it's during the words of institution that the elements are changed and so on. Um, sometimes in a Catholic Mass, during the Sanctus, they'll ring bells kind of symbolic of, okay, Christ is present now. Lutherans have always been resistant to saying, okay, we can't really pinpoint the moment when. We don't know. But what he promises is that he's present in the use of the bread and wine. So, during the communion service itself, we can be assured that he's present. We don't need to kind of parse out and explain when he's present um, and at what point in the service he's there. Uh, but in the use itself, he is. Uh, And then to address Rose's question, because I never truly answered it, so why do the sign of the cross? It's really just about the reverence um, as a reminder that, in fact, Christ says he's going to be present. Um, In the same way that we cross ourselves, it's a reminder. Um, It's not an action that, is doing something physically, but just a reminder that something holy is going on here, that Christ is present. Yeah, good good question. Other thoughts or other questions? All right, next week, um, talk more about communion, uh, the practice of communion, and specifically we'll look at what St. Paul says about communion in Corinthians, uh, about what makes a person worthy to receive communion, what are the benefits of communion, uh, and we'll go from there, and we'll see what the New Testament says.